Welcome to Life Church of Mobile's audio podcast. We hope that this teaching will challenge you in any season of life you may be in. Thanks for joining us and enjoy. All right, before we get into your notes, let me just kind of uh, share a little bit with you uh, some things that I think we need to lay down as foundational and just kind of go back over. Uh, number one, money matters. You hear what I said? Money matters. Uh, You know, we've mentioned this, but, you know, married couples, sometimes they have to go to counseling because of uh, churches need. You go to work because you need. (laughs) And the Bible talks about. And I know that's basic, but it's powerful. Uh, So first of all, money matters. It does. Number two, money's not evil. We're not in your notes yet, so if you're looking, we're not there. (laughs) Some people think, oh, you know, I've heard people say, you know, the Bible talks about that money's evil. No, that's not what it says. Money's not evil. It says the love of money. An inordinate Attention and focus on it is evil, not money itself. First Timothy 16 says, For the love of money is the root of all evil. The obsession with money is what can and is evil. Why? Because it is idolatry and it is the worship of the creation instead of the creator. So that's what we need to be aware of. It is the misuse of money that is destructive, not the money itself. You know, floods drown many people. But how many of you are going to have all the water turned off in your house because floods drown people? We still need water. It's not the water that's evil. It's the inappropriate use of it. That is. And so money's the same. It can be used for good as bad, good or bad. And uh, money, somebody has said, money is not cold, hard cash. It is warm, soft blessings. <laughs> and that's true depending on what you're going to do with it and your outlook. Amen? I'm just giving you some basics before we get into our notes tonight. We've got plenty of time to cover our notes, so, so don't panic. Number three, money has power. It affects people. People kill for it. Families divide over it. I'm telling you, it has power. There are families that, that, that they haven't spoken to each other for years because of, because of money. And it can be deceptive. It represents power, affluence, achievement, status, security to some people. But here's the thing. The Bible talks about the deceitfulness of riches. If you do not have a proper big biblical perspective, money can be deceiving. Not only that, it can create a false sense of security. It can make you think everything is fine. You don't have to worry about anything, but there are some things truly that money cannot buy. Are y'all with me tonight? Amen. It can create pride. It can become our God. We're going to talk about not serving God and mammon when we get there, but we won't, we won't talk about that now. The, the book of Proverbs says, Woe to those who trust in uncertain riches. It can change just like that. 
So money does have power and it has potential to either help or to harm. Not only that, money will not cure all your problems and it will not guarantee you happiness. Some of us think it will. (laughs) Or we at least like to try. I saw this funny quote by a guy in this church had posted one time. He said, I'm only one step away from wealth. I just need money. (laughs) But the wealthy are often unhappy. You don't have to be. But wealth can be a very empty and a lonely place. And I'll tell you why. The very wealthy can have problems of discerning why people are their friends. Relationships need to be based on us and not what we possess. Are you with me? It's having purpose in life, not just possessions that are, is satisfying. Unbelievers encounter the problems of prosperity. Believers encounter the purpose of prosperity. That is God's design. Boy, that's good. That's good. I better say that again. Unbelievers encounter the problems of prosperity according to the scriptures. Believers are supposed to encounter the purpose of prosperity. That changes everything uh, about our perspective about money when we understand that. Money will not cure the emptiness of the soul, the loneliness of isolation, or the need for the presence of God in our lives. It cannot cure everything. Not only that, but wealth and blessing are not just for a special privileged few. Come on now. I want you to say, my life can change for the better. People who believe that it is only for the few are robbed of their initiative, they're robbed of their drive, and they're robbed of motivation. In fact, it's a faith killer when you believe that. Your partnership with God can reverse any financial curse that is on your life. So I want you to say tonight, in my life, anything that is under the curse is reversed. Do you receive that? Do you believe that? Boy, I do. We're going to stir that up in our lives tonight. Amen. Not only that, but God wants you to be financially successful. Robbie gave us so many practical pointers last week and and so many things to to stir our hearts about that. I won't spend a lot of time uh, laying that down, but you know, this is foundational. The fact that we know that God wants us to be blessed, that he wants us to prosper. And what did we say two weeks ago? Poverty is not a blessing. It is a... If you don't believe me, go with me to the nations that we travel to and see. Look at the life expectancy. Look at the health care facilities. Look at their outlook on life. Where nations are living in abject poverty, their life expectancy is lower. Everything about their whole dynamic of life is affected by poverty. Poverty is not a blessing Somebody say amen. Amen. Not only that, but your financial situation can change. Now, here's what I'm saying. It can get better. I want you to say with me tonight, my life can get better. Say it. Our life can get better. My life can get better. God has said our lives can get better. Tell your neighbor, it can get better. Not only that, 
But money is a spiritual subject that should be discussed in church. Part of the problem with about money and sex and relationships and all these things is the church quit talking about them and the world took over. And now, you know, we get all of our information, all of our input, and all of our understanding from sources other than God. When God should be the source for all of our understanding about all of this. God wrote the book. (laughs) He knows knows how how it's supposed to function, how it's supposed to be in our lives. So money is a spiritual subject, and it should be discussed in church. Offering time is worship time. Hey, I'm telling you, listen, God said that our emotions should be involved with our giving. He loves a... That means it's supposed to be glory to God. Hallelujah. And not just from our head. He loves a cheerful, joyous giver. So worship time should be involved in offering time. It's a time of ministering to God. And listen, and this is what you get a hold of. It's not only, listen, giving is not only a time of worshiping God, but it's also a time of ministering to our future. It is a time of ministering to our future. God loves a cheerful giver. That's in 2 Corinthians 9 if you want to look it up. Not only that, but when we give... In faith, we should expect to receive in return. God is a giver by nature. And he gave and sowed his son and reaped millions of sons and daughters. That is God's nature. That should be our nature as well. And by the way, when we talk about giving and receiving and giving and, and believing that we ought to expect a return, there is a difference. See, some, some of us think, well, if I believe that I'm going to reap a harvest on my giving, that's selfish. Well, there is a difference in selfishness and taking care of yourself. Amen. You're supposed to take care of yourself. There's a difference in selfishness and self-care. Self-care is simply wanting something good, enjoying the good things of God. He gives us all things richly to enjoy. Selfishness is depriving somebody else and taking advantage of somebody else for your own good. Being willing to hurt somebody else to get what you want. And I believe we need to realize and know that God has placed the desire for more in our hearts. It just has to be focused. Listen to this. The desire for more has to be focused. It has to be managed. And it has to be spirit-led. And that's where a lot of people get confused and and miss it. All right, turn with me to Luke 12. Are y'all here tonight? I tell you, they must have eaten a lot tonight. They're quiet. We're talking about a disciple's money and especially about being rich towards God. Now, I'm going to be afraid to tackle some things and read this scripture and deal with these verses that are uh, here for us. 
Luke chapter 12, we'll start at verse 13. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made you judge or divide, who made me judge or divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. And he spoke a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. Mm, isn't that good? He, it brought forth plentifully. Boy, there's a couple of principles there. We don't have time to preach them. But let me just pause and say this. This is the principle of work. That's a four-letter word, but it's good if you just miss that. His ground brought forth plentiful. There was something going on that this ground was generating. And listen, it's not just about randomly sowing seed. Did you know you can take the biggest bag of seed, throw it out, and if it's not sown in the right ground, it'll die and will not produce. Say good ground. I said I wasn't going to preach that. The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, now here's, here's, the, here's the thing. It's, this ground is blessed. It's bringing forth plentifully. But watch, the perspective is what gets sideways. And he thought within himself, what shall I do? I don't have enough room to keep everything I'm making. What a great problem to have if you have the right perspective. If you got the wrong one, you got problems. He said, I don't have enough barns to take care of, of, uh, of all my stuff that's coming in to bestow my fruits. And he said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put up more barns and build greater. And there I'll bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have much goods laid up for many years. Take ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Woo. That is a philosophy. That is a culture. That is a mindset. Can I, can I ramble just a minute? Take one real rabbit trail. Where we are in our country is not just a battle for who is going to be president. It's, it is a battle for a mindset. And it, listen, it is a battle for our identity as a nation. Who are we going to be? See, this, this was about identity. This was about a culture. This was about understanding. Boy, I could, I could preach, but I'm not going to. Lord, help me. It's about a culture. It's about a mindset. Identity is really important. I said identity is really important. You live out of your identity. We as a nation are going to live out of our identity. And people who are coming here need to understand what is our identity so they can know what to expect and what the boundaries are. Is that all right? We better understand that. We better understand where we are. 
Serious times. Amen. Serious times. So he, he has a philosophy, a mindset. He says, I'm, gonna put, I'm, I'm just going to put it all in there, and I'm going to say to my soul, take easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, you fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will all these things be which you've provided? So, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. How many of you are like me and say, Lord, I want to be rich towards you? Come on, I know everybody in the house, that's a 100% thing. God, I want to be rich towards you. Rich toward God. What a legacy to leave and what a legacy to live. And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, for what you shall eat, what neither your body, what you shall put on. The life is, is not the life more than meat, and the body more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, uh, which neither have storehouse or barn, and God feeds them. How much more are you better than the fowls? And which of you, by taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? If you then uh, be not able to do that thing which is least, why take you thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If you then so clothe, if, if then God so clothe the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And seek not what you shall eat or what you shall drink, uh, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that you have need of these things. Notice that he did say, God knows you need all these things. Yes. See, a lot of people skip over that, and they just feel like, well, I don't have to work, don't have to do nothing. Man, just going to kick back, you know, chew on a straw all day long for the rest of my life, and just see what, you know, and just live off you. And by the way, This is a principle that is, is throughout the Word of God. Somebody said, well, the Bible teaches socialism. Boy, I wasn't going to get into all this tonight, but it's just out here. i got to just go after it. No, it does not. And let me tell you what the difference is. Oh, but brother, in the book of Acts, doesn't it say they had all things in common? It does say that, but let me tell you what the difference is. It was freely given. It was not confiscated. It was not taken. It, I didn't show up, and I, I'm not going to show up this week and come in here and say, you know what, Alan, Alicia, and you have worked all your life, your whole life. You have raised a family. You have worked day in and day out, and now I'm going to take you what you got, and I'm going to give it to somebody else who's not willing to work. That is not Bible. And I am all for helping people who have needs. Don't get me wrong. You know better than that. We love people. We're going to help people. We're going to give people a hand up, not a hand out. <laughs> all this, I'm just, it's just in me. It's just stirring. So there's the difference. Freely you have received. Freely give. That's the difference. So if you hear that, you'll know how to address that and how to deal with that in, in the cultural setting of where we are, uh, of where we are uh, today. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. Your Father knows that you have need of all these things. God knows that you have need of them. But rather seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. 
Sell that you have and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupts. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Also, You know, there are a few things in life that point out our motives more than money. Being rich or poor doesn't prove that you have God's favor. There are plenty of rich people who do not have a relationship with God. So just riches in and of itself does not indicate the hand of God or the blessing of God in and of itself. Matthew 6, 24, no man can serve two masters. For he will either, either hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, a lot of translations translate that money, but I'm going to tell you it's more than that. Yeah. Yeah. Mammon is a spirit. It was the name of a Syrian god as well. Now, let me just give you a little info here. Just, just stay with me and let me educate you about this. In the city of Babylon, it was filled, watch this, with greed and excesses. And mammon is a description of the world given over to that spirit. Some scholars cite mammon as the name of a Syrian Chaldean god, similar to the Greek god of wealth. The word mammon comes from the Greek word mammonus. Similar root words exist in Hebrew, Latin, Aramaic, Chaldean, Chaldean, and Syriac. Ultimately, mammon is described as the idol of materialism, which many trusted as the foundation for their world philosophy. It was sometimes used to describe all lusts and excesses such as gluttony, greed, and world gain gotten at any price. Mammon is a spirit which cannot be satisfied. And what he was saying was, you can't serve God and a spirit which cannot be satisfied at the same time. You cannot do it. Have you ever noticed about getting there? Now, let's be honest. All of us at times have this vision in our mind of getting there. Y'all out there tonight? Boy, it's quiet in this Presbyterian church. But you know, there's something about there that even when you get there, it don't feel like there. In fact, where some of you are now, it was there 10 years ago, and now there is here, but it still don't feel like there. And what else I've discovered is this. When, even when you get to there, then what happens is you start reminiscing and thinking about where here was and how good it was back here. And here ends up being there. After you got there, you want to go back to here. I couldn't say that again if you held a gun to my head and asked me to say that again. But you know what I'm talking about. This is the day the Lord has made and I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. Are there things I'm believing for? You better believe it. But I tell you what, there may be some theirs out there I'm believing for, but right here where I am today is pretty good. I'm going 
everybody enjoy that. I don't want to get to that place and then look back and say, oh, give me the good old, good old uh, here's when I was believing to get there. <laughs> but just by the same token that being rich doesn't, doesn't mean that, you know, that you got it godly. There are plenty of poor people who, who love God that aren't aware of his desire to meet their needs and still don't believe it is his will for them, them to prosper and that are as greedy as anybody as rich as I've ever known. Just because you're poor doesn't mean you're not greedy. Perfect example. What do they call it? The, the, the Friday after Thanksgiving? Oh, that's it. Black Friday. You aren't careful? And it has happened. People have gotten trampled to death and killed from the spirit of mammon that is released on Black Friday. They will knock you down, stomp on your head, and not feel bad about it. And there's not a lot of wealthy people probably want lined up out there either. Poor people can be greedy too. So God wants to financially prosper his people, provide for his people. But there are some attitudes that have to be a part of our lives. What time is it? And I've got to move on along. There are attitudes that have got to be part of our lives that are going to make all the difference in our lives. And when these are present with us, I believe that when God provides, it becomes a matter of being joyful about it. And it does not bring sorrow with it. Can I get an amen? amen. Proverbs ten twelve: the blessing of the Lord, it makes rich. And he adds no well, that's what we want. But you don't want to miss any of these attitudes. All of these attitudes need to be a part of our lives, and here they are. Number one, industry. What do I mean by that? A good worker. I already preached on that, so I don't have to spend a lot of time here. Be, you know, be industrious. And, you know, and, and, and the thing is, like I said, I, it bothers me. I see people that work all of their lives so they can enjoy some retirement and, and, and have, a, have a good life and enjoy life. And then, then you have those that come behind that say, well, they don't want to do anything. That is not a biblical principle. And we're not, we're not, doing, we're not helping people when we enforce that kind of an attitude. Amen? Amen. So industry, that means you're a good worker. Number two, generosity. Everybody say generosity. generosity. That means a loving giver. Why should I give? I'll tell you why. One reason you ought to give is because we know that life does not end at death. Amen. You are an eternal being. And somebody said you cannot take your possessions into eternity, but I tell you what you can do. You can send them on ahead. Think about it. How many people are going to be in heaven? They're going to be able to walk up to you, look at you and say, you didn't know it, but you sent somebody to Ghana. You saved my life in the womb. You don't know it. You don't know it, but you sent somebody to Europe to tell me about Jesus. You sent somebody and I'm here today because of you. That ought to make you run and shout and make you worship God like never before when you bring your offering and when you bring your tithes into the house. Life doesn't end at death. You can't take your possessions with you, but you can send them on into eternity. Reminds me of a story. A wife lost her husband, and uh, he had some money put up, put aside. And uh, they were gathered around the, the, the casket there, and a couple of her girlfriends said, 
I said, well, how much did he leave? He said, well, she said, well, you know, you know, there was, we had $50,000 and, and, but he, he made me promise that when he went on into eternity, that I would put, that I would send his money with him. She said, girlfriend, don't tell me you put that money in with that man. She said, I did. She said, I wrote him a check. <laughs> you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. <laughs> Not only that, but generosity, I already said this, results in eternal rewards. Not only that, giving protects my heart from greed. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It'll help you not be greedy. Giving by faith releases miracles. Turn to 2 Corinthians, and let me read this to you real quick. I've got about five more minutes. Giving by faith releases miracles. 2 Corinthians 9. And again, this, this goes into uh, what we talked about earlier about how we give. Verse 6, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. I'm not going to show up at your house next week and hold, you know, and say, listen, you give me your tithe. I mean, it's, it's, it's in the Bible. You got to give it to me. Uh-uh. You give out of your heart as God lays it on your heart. So don't preach to me that the Bible is full of socialism. There's a huge difference in that. And we need to understand that. As you purpose in your own heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a... That means... Oh, well, we'll talk about that in a minute. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you having all sufficiency in all things, have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. You give to the poor because you want to give to the poor, because you want to help them, because you desire to help them, because it is something that is in your heart, because you're like your God, your heavenly Father. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Verse 11, while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Paul was saying, man, let me tell you, you have blessed me and I know God is blessing you back and I am rejoicing and I am so thankful. What a beautiful biblical pattern there is here. So giving by faith releases miracles. Not only that, I give. Why should we give? Because God is generous and he wants me to be like him. Not only that, the tithe is the starting place. 1 Timothy 6, let's, let's look at this real quickly, 17 through 19. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. And by the way, let me just insert this. How many of us live in America here? Okay, where do some of y'all live? I didn't see your hand go up. Which, Okay, how many of us live in America? Thank you. I just want to make sure everybody lived here. <laughs> You're tired. I'm picking on y'all and messing with you. Uh, if you live in America, you are rich. Compared to most of the rest of the world. We are. So we've got a responsibility. We've got to be stewards. 
So this is to us. Charge them the rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. That they do good, that they be rich. Boy, here's a kind of rich that we want to be in. Not just rich in money, but rich in good works. Rich, ready to distribute and willing to communicate. Laying up store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. 1 Corinthians 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do you. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, uh, whomsoever you shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality into Jerusalem. And if it be meet that I go also, they shall go with me. So here's, here's what I'm saying. Here's Paul's method. Paul's method of giving was systematic. What did he say? He said, at that time he said, do it the in other words, you don't have, if you do it once a month, that's fine. But what I'm saying is there needs to be a systematic yeah. approach to your giving, not haphazard. Yeah. Amen. Amen? So it needs to be systematic, regular. Not only that, it needs to be proportional. Those, if somebody's got $10 and they give two, they have given in comparison to somebody who's got a million and puts a $1,000 check in the offering, it's proportional. Not only that, but it's supposed to be participatory. You are supposed to worship as you give. In other words, it's from your heart. It's not just a legalistic thing. I don't do it because I'm under the law. I got news for you. I'm not under the law anymore. I don't know if I ought to say this or not. See, a lot of preachers will try to, oh boy, 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 why do I do this? Why do I do this? Well, I know what I've already done. They'll try to, they'll try to manipulate you by telling you, you bring your tithes into the storehouse, and if you don't, you are cursed with a curse. Well, I'm not under the curse of the law anymore. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not going to give. Anyway, I'll deal with that. Thank you. I'll deal with that another time. But you know what I'm saying. I'm not going to stand up here and try to scare you and beat you down into giving. I'm going to take the approach that Paul did. Not only that, Paul, Paul's method was systematic, proportional, and participatory. I got one minute. <laughs> All these attitudes, industry, generosity, trust, a trusting heart, knowing that God's going to take care of you. Has God ever asked you to do something that's unreasonable? Yes. Yes, he has. I guarantee you, there have been times you heard people stand up here and testify. They had $100 in the bank, and God said, give 50 of it. Or give it all. I'm, that's what I'm talking about. Unreasonable. God will ask you at times to do things so that you can trust him and know that he's God. Not trusting what's in that bank account. And that's not always easy to do, I know. A trusting heart, knowing that God will take care of you. Not only that, uh, uh, the attitude of the believer must be contentment. Life viewed from eternity. We already talked about that. Number five, a disciple. I am a disciple. I'm a follower of Jesus. And that means as a disciple, I'm going to seek first 
the kingdom. And all these things will be added. Number six, obedience and faith. That means I have the courage to do what God says to do. Even when it doesn't make sense to my natural mind. Thanks again for listening to Life Church of Mobile's podcast. If you would like to find out more about our church, you can visit us at lifechurchmobile.com.